0: From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. If
1: you want to be very artistic about it, you want to leave a little knob of dough at the end. So it's got this fat belly in the middle, and then the skinny arms that taper out to the end, and then a little bit of a knob right there.
0: On today's show, we learn how to make German-style soft pretzels from Eric Shedler of Muddy Fork Bakery. Josephine McRobbie sends an audio postcard from a backyard chicken coop tour. And Harvest Public Media has a story on Midwestern aquaculture. That's all just ahead, so stay with us. Large barns that dot the landscape across much of the central United States typically house hogs or chickens. And those animals eat a lot of soy protein on their way to becoming dinner. Someday that soy protein could be fattening up Midwest seafood. Harvest Public Media's Amy Mayer reports.
2: In this huge greenhouse in central Iowa, blowers move air and water as tilapia swim in tanks. Joe Sweeney is CEO of the fish farm Eagles Catch. He sells live tilapia to markets in places like New York and Chicago. The farm starts with tiny, nearly translucent tilapia but they grow fast and efficiently convert their feed into human food.
0: And when you compare them to other livestock, they're actually getting more protein per pound of feed input than any other animal class.
2: The fish are hand-fed five times a day, and the tilapia grow from minuscule to two pounds in about nine months. Their high-protein diet relies on soybeans, so you might think that's why Sweeney built his business in an area surrounded by soybean fields. But Sweeney says the commercial fish food he buys comes from the south.
0: Unfortunately, feeding Louisiana and and Arkansas soybeans. Um, But I think as time goes on, I really look forward to being able to feed them that Iowa product.
2: Globally, aquaculture has huge potential to help meet the needs of a growing population that's eating more protein. But to achieve that, plant proteins will have to take on a greater role. That's because governments restrict harvesting wild fish to feed farmed fish. Iowa State University professor Kurt Rosenstrader has been developing soybean-based fish food.
3: In Iowa in particular, we can play a huge role globally in terms of providing protein ingredients for the aquaculture industry.
2: Rosenstrader has worked with aquaculture projects in Asia, where countries import a lot of U.S. soybeans. More recently, corn protein, a byproduct of ethanol production, is also showing promise.
3: Many of the biorefineries are taking the next step to produce a more concentrated form of corn protein. And this is one of those things that's really going to be taking the industry by storm the next couple of years.
2: Across 12 states in the north-central part of the U.S., from Ohio to North Dakota to Kansas, hundreds of businesses are trying to grow fish for food. But local demand will have to grow to make them viable.
3: Diets, in many respects, are cultural-based. And so we are, in the Midwest, eating more fish than we used to eat, but uh, still not as much as other parts of the world.
2: But even here, frozen seafood, often imported, certainly sells. Five years ago, Julie Taglin and her husband decided to challenge that market. The Forest City, Iowa couple opened an indoor saltwater shrimp farm.
0: Um, They're Pacific White shrimp. We get them as babies. They're the size of an eyelash.
2: J&J Dry Dock Shrimp is a direct-to-consumer business that's part of a local foods network. The majority of our customers,
0: including myself, have never had fresh seafood.
2: But Teglin says she has a waiting list of customers for the 140 pounds or so of shrimp she harvests every few months. Her shrimp feed comes from a Pennsylvania company that tells her they're working to replace fish meal with more soy protein. And it's not just soy protein. Purdue University fisheries professor Paul Brown says at this point, researchers are looking at what other plant proteins could replace soy.
3: My goodness, it's uh, lupins, it's peat uh, proteins, it's any potential commodity that can be further processed and into a high-protein ingredient.
2: Will fish barns or greenhouses someday become another prominent feature of the Midwest landscape? These folks all say, maybe, but not immediately. Amy Mayer, Harvest Public Media. Find more at
0: harvestpublicmedia.org. The Tour de Coop is a yearly backyard chicken coop tour in Raleigh, North Carolina. The tour benefits Urban Ministries of Wake County, a local nonprofit providing food, shelter, and medicine to people in crisis. Producer Josephine McRobbie sends an audio postcard from this year's tour.
3: Silent night, hens tucked in, starlight on snow. I'm Karen Weiberg and I am the author of Chicken Haiku
2: and the owner of the house where we're showing all the chickens right now. I'm Dawn Rozo, and I'm an artist, visual artist, and collage illustrator.
4: Justin Miller. We are in my backyard, which is inhabited by eight chickens and two pigs.
3: My name is Melissa Koopman, and I'm a volunteer organizer with Tour de Coop. Raleigh's own urban chicken coop tour, um, benefiting Urban Ministries of Wake County. My last name is Koopman, but I would like to clarify that it is spelled with a K, not a C. It is the Dutch spelling. My spouse is Dutch. You know, chickens can be true pets. They all have personalities. They all have individual likes and dislikes. Some of them are very anxious. Some of them are very calm. Some of them like to go in and roost at night. Some of them stay out to the bitter end, like teenagers.
4: <laughs> they have their little cliques. I'd tell people they are like a group of high school girls living in the backyard. So certain ones like other ones. Every night they go and sleep in the same spot, in the same order. Hey girl. what can I have? We are in um, an area of Raleigh called Five
3: Points. We're about five minutes from Raleigh's true downtown core. Chickens need to be dry, they need to be um, protected from heat and cold and they need good ventilation so no matter what the coop looks like as long as it does that they're happy. Chickens are wonderful because I have a food source right here that has a very low carbon footprint. A lot of what I feed them comes from my very own garden. A lot of the fertilizer that goes back to my garden comes from them. I compost it and it goes back to the garden.
4: Anyone who knows chickens knows that there is a concept called chicken math. What chicken math is, is when you go out and you say you're going to get three or four, you wind up actually getting eight or ten. I decided I w- there were certain types, certain breeds that I wanted to add to, to my flock, and that's how I orig- how I went from four to eight in the beginning. Of the seven that lay eggs, I have seven different color eggs that are produced from, from chocolate brown to bright white. I get about a half a dozen eggs a day. I've, I'm known in the area as the egg guy, so my neighbors, I have a, a rotating list. I leave eggs out on the porch for them. They leave money in my mailbox. So in terms of sustainability, it's actually a, a pet that... Uh, that that pays some rent here, which is nice.
3: (laughs) So I got chickens, and I knew about the Tour de Coupe. I had heard about it, and so we went on the Tour de Coupe one year and looked at all the coops and then figured out what we wanted to build. And then the next year, we decided to be a coop host on the Tour de Coupe. You will just see creative coops, some of them very high-end and gorgeous and architectural wonders, and some of them, you know, made of recycled materials or very homemade, such as my coop. Our houses represent not only chickens, but oftentimes beehives, gardens, unique sustainability features. So you might see rain barrels or a vermicomposting with worms. Um, You will see music. There will be food trucks. There will be artists, authors. Every year is unique and different. We worked hard for about a year. We worked hard for about a year to pull it together, get it designed, and. It's awesome. The poems and the art really work together. They really work together. I can't tell you how many evenings that we've just spent sitting out here watching them free range and just been amused. So as a writer, it was just a natural thing to start writing about them. And haiku just seemed like the perfect way to capture chickens. They are incredibly stupid acting, intelligent creatures.
4: (laughs) They look at me as the mama hen hen. They know when I'm outside, it usually means snacks or food or something good's going to happen.
3: Scratch, scratch, scratch. Digging for gold flecks. When to dreams hats.
0: Thanks to producer Josephine McRobbie for that audio postcard. Production support comes from Elizabeth Rue. Enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio and Insurance Agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rash Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Beacon Insurance. Beyond the Expected, more at 812-336-6838. Whether it's at the ballpark, the state fair, or your local Saturday market, soft-baked pretzels might be calling your name this summer. Eric Shedler of Muddy Fork Bakery offers fresh, hot pretzels every Saturday at our local farmer's market here in Bloomington. Eric learned pretzel making informally at a village bakery in southern Germany when he was 20 years old. And he's ready to pass his secrets on to you, dear listeners of Earth
1: Eats. So today we are going to make... German-style soft pretzels, and by German-style I mean dipped in real lye solution. And it's not too, not too strong. The typical way to do it is to, dip, to put it in a 4% lye solution, so it's actually a lot less caustic than what you would make if you're making soap. You can stick your fingers in it and they don't burn off immediately, <laughs> although I do suggest wearing gloves, especially if you have any cuts at all on your fingers, they will burn immediately in the lye.
0: So what is lye?
1: Sodium hydroxide. That um, a lye solution is very basic and it reacts uh, with the dough to change the chemistry in the outer layer of the dough. And then when it bakes, the lye dissipates, but it causes a much higher amount of caramelization reactions uh, in the surface of the dough as it bakes. And that gives it that characteristic deep brown, reddish brown color and a certain flavor that you just associate with pretzels. Mm -hmm.
0: So if you don't happen to have lye sitting around in your pantry, you can use like a baking soda solution. Is that what most people do?
1: You can do that. I've done it. Um, people often recommend a boiling baking soda solution. Although I will warn you that it's hard to keep a pretzel in its shape when you put it in boiling water and that may work better for making rolls than actual pretzels. But if you want to take the plunge, or if you already make soap or want to make some soap, you can buy a little bottle of lye beads and make yourself a little solution. Pretzel dough is almost a straight bread dough with the one addition of a little bit of fat in the dough. Uh, Most people use butter. Um, You can use lard. Actually, the pretzels that we sell in our bakery, we use lard because we wanted to try to use as many local ingredients as we could and you can buy lard locally and you can't, if you're a bakery, you can't legally buy butter locally because all the butter that's available is raw milk butter. All right, so to to make the pretzels, we're gonna measure out the water and mix in the yeast and let the yeast dissolve. This recipe is gonna make uh, six four ounce pretzels. So we need 255 grams of water and we need two grams of yeast and one gram of yeast is about equal to a quarter teaspoon. So we're gonna use half a teaspoon of yeast. It's hard to measure a gram or two, even on a really good scale. So having a couple of conversions is nice. And I'm uh, speeding it along with a whisk a little bit. My next ingredient is the butter, and I don't want the fat to hit the undissolved yeast cause then the yeast could just get frozen in the butter and not hydrate. Alright, here's our melted butter. We measured out 35 grams of butter earlier and stuck it in the oven to melt. My favorite butter for baking is Kerrygold butter, which is the butter we use for our croissants. Then we just need to add the flour and the salt. And when I have oil or butter or any kind of floating fat in the dough, I try to... Uh, move the water as I'm adding the flour so that I don't get flour to only absorb fat. I want to get the flour into the water. The best way to do this is to take a different bowl and measure the flour out. Then we can just dump it in quickly and stir it as we dump in the flour. So we want 425 grams of flour. This is an all-purpose flour. You don't want for pretzels to use a flour that has too much protein or too high of a gluten content in it because it will make the pretzels hard to stretch. We want eight and a half grams of salt, which is going to be slightly less than two teaspoons. So we have our wet measured out, we have our dry measured out, and with the spoon, I'm just gonna stir this butter water mixture while I add the flour. Pretzel dough is also a pretty stiff dough and that's, kind of important because you have to be able to work with it to roll it out, shape it into pretzels, and I believe the reason for the fat in it, and you wouldn't want to do this with oil, you'd want to use butter, lard, or shortening, uh, is that after you form the pretzels, you chill them, and that makes them firmer and easier to handle while you're dipping them in the lye and getting them into the oven without destroying them. Mm-hmm. All right, I've done what I could with the spoon, so I'm gonna use my hands a little bit to knead this dough until it gets more smooth and evenly incorporated. And I'm doing that by tugging at the dough at the edge of the bowl and pressing it down into the middle, giving that bowl about a quarter turn and repeating that motion over and over again, just in the bowl. The mess is all contained in the bowl, except for your fingers. And we'll do this for a few minutes until everything is evenly incorporated okay I'm about done mixing here the dough is looking smoother although it's still kind of raggedy at this point it gets really smooth when it sits and rests but um This pretzel dough is, is, like I said, it's pretty stiff, so everything comes clean off the bowl when you're mixing it up. And there we have it. I'm going to set it to rest.
0: The dough's going to rest covered at room temperature for a few hours, but you'll still need to tend to it.
1: Oh, you know what that means it's time to do? Time to fold our dough. If you have a kitchen timer going, then you won't forget every 30 to 60 minutes to fold your dough. And this pretzel dough, you usually should get three folds, not more than that, or you'll make it too strong and it'll be harder to roll out your pretzels. So you should notice the dough getting smoother every time you do a fold. And we're doing that same motion we use for mixing where I'm pulling the dough from the outside edge into the middle. And I'm going to go once around the bowl and then cover it back up, set my timer. For pretzels, I'll set the timer for 60 minutes. After three hours, it's had three folds and it's ready to cut up into pretzels.
0: So, just to recap, we mix the dough, knead it until it's smooth, let it rest for three hours, folding it once each hour. Then the dough is ready to be divided and shaped into pretzels.
1: Our pretzel dough has been fermenting away for a few hours and we're turning that dough out onto the table and we're gonna cut our dough into four ounce pieces for pretzels. You want to flatten your dough, it'll make it easier to start to roll out that big long pretzel. So I've got a little bit of flour, rolling pin and another tool, which is called a bench knife or a bench scraper or a dough knife. It's a little rectangle of metal with a handle on it. Okay, just enough flour to make it not stick, but not too much. And you can see how nice and smooth the dough gets. So I'm measuring them to 120 grams, just over four ounces each. You want to roll your pretzel like three feet long. So the dough doesn't usually want to stretch that far all at once. So we're going to roll it in two phases. We're going to roll up that rectangle into a strand. And I easily get it around 16, 18 inches long. So the motion that I'm doing is I'm taking each piece which should be cut sort of rectangular pressing it down flat and sometimes i even tug at the edges a little bit to make it longer a more elongated rectangle then i roll it up from the long edge and pinch it down and then i roll with my hands Uh, when you're rolling a strand you're pressing down using combination of pressing weight down on the table against the strand and also pulling the dough outward. So you're constantly putting your hands back in the middle and rolling back and forth, moving your fa- hands towards the edge and back to the middle again, pushing towards the edge. And you don't want to push the dough farther than it wants to go. Just let it rest. You can either you can let them sit on your table on a, and then cover them with plastic while they're resting. these pretzels are going to need about 10 to 20 minutes to rest before we can roll them a second time.
0: You might be tempted to rush it at this point. Skip the resting and just get on with shaping the pretzels. Don't. You'll just get frustrated. The dough rope that you're rolling out simply won't stretch to the length that you need it to unless it has time to relax. So walk away. Go clean up the kitchen. Or better yet, Relax yourself. Go read a book in a hammock for 20 minutes. Then you can finish shaping the pretzels like Eric is about to do.
1: And now I'm gonna take them back off of the tray and try to stretch them out to three, three and a half feet long and twist them. Just gonna roll them. And I'm gonna avoid thinning out the, the middle too much because that's the belly of the pretzel. You want to be very artistic about it. You want to leave a little knob of dough at the end. So it's got this fat belly in the middle, and then these skinny arms that taper out to the end, and then a little bit of a knob right there. And then the way the Germans do it is they pick up the ends and they toss the pretzel and let it fall back down. And towards the ends of the arms you've made, or the, the part where the arms cross, and, and what, the twist needs to be where they cross once and then cross back so that each arm goes back to its side of the dough. And then you can sort of stick it up there on the ends. And to rest the pretzels, I suggest a board or a sheet pan with a cloth over the top of it so that the pretzels don't get stuck. And we'll put that in the fridge to let them firm up because these are definitely floppy. And with that butter in the dough, they'll get nice and firm and hard when they go in the fridge.
0: That's right, he's letting them rest, again. This time, get your lye bath ready and set up your workstation for dipping the set pretzels and laying them out on a
1: baking sheet. So we are gonna dip the pretzels in lye, put salt on them and score them with a razor blade. And as with deep frying, you wanna have everything ready when you're about to handle lye.
0: So you're definitely wearing gloves for the if it food If I had a cut on
1: my hands, I would put two pairs of gloves because sometimes the gloves rip, and it it will burn. It will burn right away if you have a cut. The way we do it on a large scale is we have a, a rectangular tub and a couple of screens, and we rest the pretzels on one screen and then weigh them down with another screen to get them just stay submerged. At home I would just, I would mix as little lye as you need so you don't have to waste it, and then just hold it down with your gloved hand under the liquid for about five seconds. Pretzels that have been dipped in lye, you have to use a silicone-based parchment. You can't use any other material. Well, in particular, you can't use something called Quilon because it will bond to the pretzels, Which, which is what cheaper parchments usually are made of. So I've dipped the pretzels. I have a little minute to reshape them on the tray before they get kind of stuck. Pretzel salt, which is some kind of salt that's been like—it's uh, not coarse pieces because those are hard. It's some kind of thing that's been like pressed together into little little balls of salt. And I'm sprinkle the pretzels, especially the bellies. and we're gonna score them with a sharp blade right along the belly. And that's gonna give the pretzel a place to expand that will look pretty. Typically we would be baking pretzels after the breads finish. And so the oven will be in the 500s and they will take about eight to 12 minutes at that kind of temperature.
0: If you recall from when Muddy Fork has been on Earth Eats before, They do all the baking in a large-scale wood-fired brick oven that they heat to very high temperatures each week to bake their bread, croissants, and other goodies. As the oven cools, they bake items that require lower temperatures, like pretzels. In your home oven, 500 might be the highest it goes. If so, just start checking them at around 8 minutes. You want them to be fully browned and caramelized on the outside and not doughy in the center. Once they're out of the oven, let them rest again, ever so briefly, to cool slightly. But you know, soft pretzels are best hot and fresh from the oven.
1: A a German baker would tell you that a pretzel should be fat in the belly, which is also where we scored it, and soft in that part, with skinny arms and crunchy in the arms, so you get a range of textures in your pretzel. And uh, you can eat it hot, like we're going to, Another way that they're eaten in southern Germany is you can slice open the pretzel from uh, the shoulder from one shoulder to the other shoulder and put cold butter on it. It's, called a, it's called a butterbrezel. <laughs> it's really good.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, well, let's try it. Do I try the fat part or the skinny part.
1: And you can taste that signature pretzel flavor in the skin, which is that reaction of the dough with the lye.
0: It has such a crisp but thin outside. Yes,
1: that's right. That's another feature of the lye. And then
0: very soft in the middle. And the whole thing is just rich with flavor. It's almost buttery.
1: Yes, and it has a little butter in it.
0: That's true. Just the right amount of salt as well.
1: (laughs) We like to make um, some of our plain croissants into pretzel croissants by dipping them in lye and salting them. And the that savory flavor of the, the pretzel flavor and the salt really goes well with the butter. It makes it taste extra buttery.
4: Yeah.
0: Oh, it's very nice. Thank you. I know you're craving pretzels now. Well, I know I am. You could find Muddy Fork Bakery at the Saturday Farmer's Market here in Bloomington Or you can follow Eric Shedler's detailed instructions for making your own. You'll find the recipe at eartheats.org. And you can review these audio instructions anytime through the podcast service of your choice or by going to the website and finding this episode, eartheats.org. The Earth Eats team includes Aabon Binder, Chad Bouchard, Alex Chambers, Mark Chilla, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, Renee Reed, the IU Food Institute, and Harvest Public Media. Special thanks this week to Melissa Koopman, Justin Miller, Karn Weiberg, Don Rozo, and Eric Shedler. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Our executive producer is John Bailey. I'm Kate Young, and I produce the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Production support comes from insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Beacon Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at 812-336-6838. Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services. Assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. And Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio.